and welcome to That Time When. I am, finally, Amelia Edwards, your, co- your host for today. <laughs> you are finally I'm Amelia I'm finally Edwards. Amelia Edwards. I've previously been <laughs> Barnaby King. <laughs> With me is Barnaby King, who is the co-host today. Yay! Yay! Ah, oh, feels good to be back in this seat. Yep. I've been in the hosting chair that we have all this time, <laughs> which, while admittedly is very plush, but it, ha- it has a sort of hardness to the back, and after a while it gets uncomfortable. Yeah, I don't know why we don't just use normal chairs instead of the hosting and co-hosting chair. I know, right? It makes no sense. Mm. And neither of them have bottoms to the chairs. We have to just <laughs> sort of support ourselves the entire time. It's really good for your glutes, though. That is like true. A constant squat. That is true. My ass is looking fine. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so I'm back from exam marking. Yay! I may still do some exam marking, but I don't have that deadline anymore. Hooray! Hooray! It is done. I thought we'd start off today with another episode. Excellent. We tried it out once and then forgot clean about it. No, we didn't. I just didn't have one last week. (laughs) And besides, it went last week went on longer than I was initially anticipating. So yeah, that's fair. All right. So, I haven't forgotten about the episodes because they are a sensation sweeping the nation. But that course. time when episodes, <laughs> um, I you have th- to you have to say it like that. Okay, so I thought that for this episodes, excellent, I would talk about one of my favourite little history stories. Okay. Which has no bearing on anything at all. Yeah, fair enough. And which we can't gain any further meaning from. Fair enough. It's like me and the butt music last time. That's the idea. <laughs> so let's talk about some of our friend's favourite guy in history, Napoleon. 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 God, I am sick of some of our friend's adoration of Napoleon. <laughs> there is a certain person who really likes Napoleon. <laughs> Like, oh, there's a certain type of person that really yeah. likes Napoleon. Yeah. And I don't usually get on with that kind of person. But <laughs> today I'm going to, because this story involves rabbits. Yay! Yay! Okay. I'm going to take you back in time to 1807. Napoleon is doing really well in life. Excellent. Um, well he's him. just finished the war between the French Empire and Imperial Russia. Okay. Which is like a really big deal if you've ever read or watched War and Peace by Leo Tolstoy. Yeah. Like, this is a good point. Uh, there's a treaty called the Treaty of Tilsit. It's been signed. And, you know, he wants to celebrate. Yeah, absolutely. So, being Napoleon, he decides, let's celebrate by hunting rabbits. Oh, Oh, this is going to be a sad story about rabbits. It is not going to be a sad story about rabbits. This is not Watership Down. I mean, that's that's a mixed story about rabbits. (laughs) Admittedly, the the film is incredibly tragic in many different ways, but, Mm. you know, it's happy to. So, here's the the story. You ready? Yeah. Um, Rabbits may be mildly inconvenienced in this story, but (gasps) they are not killed how dare anyone mildly inconvenience rabbits (laughs) so i will find them he says to alexandre berther his chief of staff that he wants to hunt rabbits monsieur berther i wish to answer rabbits so apparently the way you hunt rabbits is you don't go out and find rabbits oh no 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 Alexandre buys more than three thousand rabbits okay i mean i'm assuming I, okay, there's there's a there's a lot 
of questions in my head right now. Yeah. The first one, not so much questions, but just ideas, I guess. Because I can imagine that if you are the sort of person who is going to hunt a rabbit, either you're going to do the sort of, you know, like hunter-trapper thing and you're going to actually, you know, stake out a warren and everything like that. Or you're going to be a sort of person who wants to chase something down, in which case wild rabbits probably are not a good idea. No, I I actually can't imagine a rabbit hunt, to be honest. No. Like, obviously, we're from the UK. We're used to the idea of fox hunting. Yeah. That's kind of a different situation, though. Yeah. They get flushed out. Yeah, and I mean, the the uh, where I used to live um, on the South Downs, uh, there was a farmer who we'd regularly hear him shooting rabbits. Yeah. Like, farmers do that sort of thing. Yeah. But... I, I I always feel like hunting, particularly when you're talking about, you know, the upper echelons of society. They like to hunt big stuff. Yeah, it's like, it's an event. Yeah. I feel like hunting rab like, it's such an odd decision. It's very weird. But, you know, he's like, we're going to do it. We're going to hunt the rabbits. Yeah. So. Bastards. <laughs> he turns up one morning, summer morning in a field with all his guests ready to go hunt rabbits. Mm-hmm. They open up the cages because obviously the rabbits are all there. Yeah. Uh, but the rabbits don't run away. Oh, okay. Which is what they're supposed to do, because, you know, they're rabbits. They don't run away. These are some bold rabbits. They see Napoleon. Right. And they charge him. (laughs) (laughs) So did this guy get domestic rabbits? Yes. Oh, my God. He got domesticated rabbits. So... Yeah, when you go and buy rabbits off farmers, you're not buying wild rabbits no. that they're going to catch for you. Yeah. You're buying rabbits that they've bred to be eaten. Yeah, who are pretty chill around people. Yeah, <laughs> so they saw Napoleon, and for some reason these rabbits were like, that is the guy who's going to give us food, and they just <laughs> legged it. They were like, oh my gosh, he's our favourite person right now. Yeah, well, I mean, there's always that thing where there's this idea that cats will always go to the person who doesn't like cats. Yeah. And, you know, genuinely read a... Uh, well, I, I didn't actually read the paper. I read a, <laughs> a, a write-up of the paper that basically said that actually not true no um but that sort of saying it does seem to be the case with well not so much the case but rabbits like they find people they really like there's a friend of ours who when she comes over our rabbit lombardi will always go and like lick her knee yes she's very unhappy about it yeah but lombardi just goes for it every single time (laughs) so yeah these rabbits they start charging at Napoleon. And Amazing. at first, everyone thinks that's hilarious, right? Like, yeah. Because that would be, like, really cute and really funny. Oh, and yeah. it's like, oh, okay. Um, but then, apparently, because there were so many of them, they <laughs> allegedly, like, started climbing him. Aww. <laughs> like, they started climbing up his legs and his jacket. And they started trying to, like, get these rabbits off of Napoleon. <laughs> but they were still coming. And there were so many of them. <laughs> And in the end, he had to retreat. He lost He lost the battle with the rabbits. Like, he had his riding crop. People were, like, cracking bulwarks, being like, yeah. rabbits, go away. But they were like, we must be near Napoleon. We have to do it. Um, so apparently, he managed to flee to his carriage. Yeah. And then there's this lovely line from the historian David Chandler. With a finer understanding of Napoleonic strategy than most of his generals... The rabbit horde divided into two wings <laughs> and poured around the flanks of the party. 
and headed for the imperial coach. Oh my god! They were like, "We are. We've seen where he's gone." <laughs> Wow, they really want to get Napoleon. They really wanted to get Napoleon. And some of them apparently leapt into the carriage. Amazing. The attack ceased only as the coach rolled away and Napoleon managed to flee the bunnies. (laughs) And then afterwards, it's like, what was his name? Bertha. Yeah. Yeah, I can only imagine he didn't get on well after this. I just imagine Napoleon's like, Bertha, where did you get all those rabbits from? I got it from this wonderful farmer called Wellington. (gasps) Wellington there, (laughs) dressed as a farmer, like takes off his disguise, twirls his moustache and just like, (laughs) me. But I mean, isn't that so wonderful? Like, the fact that these rabbits just thought he was, like, a great person to feed them. They just wanted to be near him. And he was, like, the most powerful man in the world at this point. Yeah, I mean, bunnies can swarm pretty well. I, I, You've seen footage, I know, but our listeners might want to check out a uh, footage of the rabbit island in Japan. Oh, yeah. Because there is an island. There was, unfortunately, they were, they were, uh, Test bunnies, weren't they? Yeah, they were scientific research animals. These rabbits were kept here. And then the facility, I think, was just kind of abandoned. And they, yeah. just, they just let the bunnies out. Yeah. And as a result, because, you know, they're rabbits, they bred. Yeah. That is what they're known for. Yeah. And these were all, again, domesticated rabbits. So they were big. They were not really afraid of humans. Yeah. And after a while, there's just now this island that is just full of these... Very friendly bunnies. Very friendly rabbits. And there's footage, like, of people going there with food and, yeah, being swarmed with the rabbits. Yeah. It's really adorable. I really want to go and just lie down. Yeah. I've seen people <laughs> lie down on this island and yeah. just being covered in bunnies. Yeah. And that's what Napoleon could have done. He could have If he done. had not been such a coward. I know, right? <laughs> he could face down armies, but he couldn't face down bunnies. To be fair, we know from first-hand experience that if you are holding a struggling rabbit and it gives you a kick, that can really claw you. Bunnies are very strong creatures. Yeah. Especially our rabbit. <laughs> I mean, he is larger than most bunnies, despite the fact that he's not a giant, but, yeah, you know, he's a strange thing. He is a strange and wonderful thing. Well, talking about strange things, I think it's time for me to start on the main story. Excellent. So I thought I'd tell you a little bit of a mystery story today. Ooh. Or maybe mm, it's a sort of like true crime. Oh, OK. Uh, this is from back in the 1700s. I'll put my 1700 sleuthing hat on. Then. Excellent. And we're in. The butler did it. <laughs> We're in Edinburgh okay. in the 1700s. Right. Very fancy society. The Athens of the North. Is it? Uh, modern day Edinburgh. I think for a while got called that. I don't know if it does anymore. I mean, Edinburgh was quite, you know, high society. Mm. It was like in, in, in the UK, you could probably choose between Edinburgh or London. Yeah. If you're going to go fancy. Indeed. And we're going to talk about one of these wealthy, fancy type men today. Okay. So, um, this is a man called William Brody. Okay. Who is also known as Deacon Bro- Brody, for reasons I'll talk about Ooh. in a moment. Um, I always like the title Deacon. Deacon is it's nice. It's really good. I think it might be because of Terry Pratchett. Yeah. With Deacon Vorbis. Oh, yeah. Like, it has a certain mystical, menacing, kind of cool air to it. It doesn't really mean that much. No, I know. <laughs> so, William Brodie um, was a cabinet maker. 
And he was particularly good at making and installing locks. Okay. So he became quite he became quite part of quite a famous family for cabinet making right. his father was also a cabinet maker yeah. and had been so good that when he died in 1782 he had left his son our william that we're looking at yeah 10,000 pounds four houses wow and and the business Okay, that's pretty good. It's very good. That's so ten thousand pounds levels. is what Mr. Darcy gets yeah. every year, and he's a goddamn millionaire. Yeah. So William Brody is doing pretty well. He's minted. He is minted, and because he is a locksmith to some of the Edinburgh's most rich and famous people, yeah. um, he also starts to hang around in really exciting society. Okay, sorry. I've just got this image of like a red carpet event and you've got like the celebrities, the the actors, the directors, <laughs> and then, oh my God, there's the locksmith to them all. I mean, he did <laughs> hang out with Robert Burns. Oh, amazing. So... <laughs> And also, Robert Louis Stevenson's father was one of his customers as Excellent. well. So he's kind of, he's got good connections yeah. going on. He's considered like this really, really incredible man. He's doing a really good job. Yeah. And then suddenly he flees the country. Oh, okay. And he goes to Amsterdam. Right. Because the locksmith business is much better in Amsterdam. <laughs> no, the reason why is because Brody has been living a double life. Ooh. By day, he has been this very respectable gentleman. Yeah. And by night, he's been carrying out burglaries. Amazing. I mean, and- okay, right, right. Was he just like, that 10,000, that's not enough. I just need more. Well, he had a couple of things going on. Right. So he had set himself up as this like very traditional sort of 1700s man. Yeah. Um, you know, polite, refined. Enormous um, shirts. Yeah, probably. Um, he had two mistresses. Ah. Who did not know about each other. <laughs> okay. And had fathered five children by these two women. Wow. Uh, he also was a gambler. Right. And was in massive amounts of debt. Okay. And he was also an alcoholic. Okay. Did this guy meet with a strange upper class gentleman who will later turn out to be a vampire? Because this sounds very much like the vampire. You remember the story yeah, that we talked about? Yeah, I do remember about? the story of the vampire. Like, he, he's, he's suddenly just become the worst, it seems. Oh, no. So I've actually told you who this guy inspired <gasps> already, or I've given Ooh, you a hint. Okay. Robert Louis Stevenson, is mm-hmm. that the hint? Could this hint be something to do with some of the papers you've been marking? It is. Would it be... <laughs> Sherlock Holmes? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it would be uh, Dr. Jekyll and Miss Hyde. Oh, Barnaby, honestly. Although that was genuinely a film. Was it? Yeah, Dr. Jekyll and Ms. Hyde. Oh, great. It was dreadful. Yeah. Um, but this anyway, is, yes, Jekyll and Hyde. He inspired, or he may have inspired the idea of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde yeah. because this was sensational. Amazing. Like, people did not imagine that somebody who seems to be in such a position of wealth and status would be carrying out crimes. Like, <laughs> how would you even do that? <laughs> Wow, imagine if we were like that today. <laughs> I mean, our minds would be permanently blown. <laughs> I, 
guess it's like they didn't imagine they'd be carrying out such basic crimes. Right. Like, yeah. you know, the wealthy can carry out big crimes or maybe crimes of passion. Right. But Or they could be sex pests. That I don't think that was really a crime at the time though, was it? Uh, no, fair enough. Well, it is now, even though the Tory government might not admit it. (laughs) All right. So, uh, yeah, so it turns out he had been committing a lot of burglaries uh, together with a gang that he had created (gasps) for himself, uh, which included George Smith, John Brown and Andrew Ainsley. Right. And they had robbed various shops and premises throughout Edinburgh between 1786 and 1788. He had, of course, made duplicate keys yeah. of all of these locations. I'm getting some real Jonathan Wild vibes from this guy. Yeah, he's interesting, right? Yeah. Um, so he had, um, in 1786, robbed a goldsmith. Mm-hmm. They have got a list of the stolen items. I don't know if we want to go through all of them. Sure, let's, let's have a look. He had stolen 26 gold rings set with diamonds or precious stones. Okay. 24 plain gold rings. <laughs> wait, wait. Was that so that he could have... How many was it? 24? How many gold rings? 26. 26 gold and diamond rings. Was that so that he could have 26 wives? Yes, 100%. <laughs> By the way, I, I meant to say the names of his uh, mistresses because often it's quite hard to find them. Yeah, that's they true. They were Jean Watt and Anne Grant, and I feel sorry for both of them. They were Jean Watt and Anne Y. <laughs> <laughs> so- he then later went on to have another mistress, Carol Who. <laughs> wow. <laughs> He had stolen 24 plain gold rings with precious stones. Ah, that was the engagement rings. Five seals set in gold. (laughs) Not like that. (laughs) Every time. Oh, come on. It's just... (laughs) I mean, I think it's just because, you know, we don't use seals anymore. I guess, It's just not a thing. So the first thing I'm going to think of are marine mammals. Sure, yeah. (laughs) Uh, He had two silver set brooches, brooches, two set crosses, three set earrings, four silver teaspoons, plus one plain one. (laughs) He stole that one for shits and giggles. I guess. I think at this point they're just scooping everything. Ten new silver tablespoons, one silver tureen spoon, which must have been massive. Yeah. One sil- oh, two silver punch spoons. <laughs> right. One silver seal and block, 12 silver stock buckles. And a partridge in a pear tree. <laughs> Three single silver shoe buckles, 46 <laughs> pairs of silver knee buckles. I didn't even think about knee buckles no. before. But of course that was a thing. And four single knee buckles. Amazing. Then he tried to rob the hardware store of Davidson McCain, right? Uh, but was disturbed during this raid. He managed okay. to steal a pocketbook. <laughs> then he, on 8th of December, same year, he managed to rob the tobacco shop of John Law and stole 10 to 12 pounds of money. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to say of tobacco. No, 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 just money. No, then they disturbed him. So he managed to get away by setting light to the tobacco and in the ensuing (laughs) smoke screen just vanished. That would be good. Then on the 24th of December, on Christmas Eve. How could he? How could he? Same year, he robbed another hardware store. This time he managed to get a ladies' gold watch, a plain gold watch, a small gold watch, a small single case cup cased watch, two silver watches, gold rings, breastpins and lockets, several knee and shoe buckles. Knee buckles! Mm. I'd not thought of them. 
Two lancet cases full of lancets. I'm not sure what a lancet is. I mean, I only know in the modern term. Like, a lancet is like a needle. It's Maybe like, it it's is like needles. A, it's like a diabetes testing kit. Hmm. I don't think it'll be that kind of I needle, but maybe it's some kind of needle. Yeah, possibly. Um, then he seems to have taken a break until August. Oh, well, at least he he decided to give Christmas Day a, a miss. Although Christmas Eve, he did finish up his robbery by kicking the shit out of Tiny Tim. Mm. At this point, I feel like he wanted to start robbing again because he enjoyed it. Right. Because he went to a grocery store. Gives him the thrill. And stole 350 pounds of black tea. Wow. He was gasping for a cuppa. And then, and this is possibly the best one, he went on the 29th of October, 1787, to the college library at Edinburgh University. Right. And he stole their ceremonial silver mace. (gasps) That's the thrill of it, right? Yeah. That's just like, I just feel like it. (laughs) I can get away with this. That, or he saw it one day and was like, I really want that over my fireplace. (laughs) That would just bring the room together. Then, once again, Christmas that year. Don't know why he likes Christmas robberies. I know, he went to someone's house. Oh, no. This is the house of John Tapp. And he stole 18 guinea notes, a 20 shilling note, a silver watch, rings, and a miniature picture of a gentleman. (laughs) 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 Which, God, I can only imagine this must be some relative of John Tapp. Yeah. And it's like, why would you think? (laughs) That's just vindictive. It is. Um, In January 1788, he went to a silk merchant and he stole silks and cambrics worth between 300 and 400 pounds. And then... In March 1788, he went to the Edinburgh Excise Office, and this was the point where his downfall comes. Right. He managed to carry away some banknotes and two bottles believed to contain wine, but was disturbed during the raid. At this point, he panics. Okay. And gets on a boat to go to Amsterdam. Hmm. The reason why they got caught, by the way, is wonderful. He fell asleep. Oh, okay. Okay. During, well, during the raid. The, during the raid. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, amazing. He fell asleep. Um, the plan to rob the excise office had apparently been going pretty well. Yeah. But then one James Bonar, I don't know, B-O-N-A-R. Right. Uh, who was the deputy solicitor of excise, returned unexpectedly two hours before Brody thought he would. <laughs> Why is this man taking a nap in here? <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, he had failed to hear the whistle from right. the watch and didn't manage to alert anybody. So he darted out from behind a door, he fled, and then he just panicked. Right. By noon the next day, he managed to get to get on his way to London. Yeah. And then six days later, well, six days later, he actually ma- made it to London. And then he got on a ship for the Netherlands. Now... It's possible he might have bribed the ship captain right. to go to the Netherlands because apparently it wasn't supposed to go there. Oh, okay. But maybe it did. It's very hard to say. There's right, a lot of yeah. bribes being accused. Yeah, I was going to ask if he was like doing anything with his money because like he's already got a lot. Yeah. It seems like he's pretty chill with his business, but 
you haven't said anything about him like doing something with it. Like, I'm making comparisons again to Jonathan Wild, like Wild got a load of money and then basically invested it in his empire yeah. to increase his money and power. So no, he's just trying to fund his other life. Oh right, so he's just funding his he's, multiple mistresses. He's just paying for his mistresses, right? His children, like because five kids is not cheap. Yeah, fair enough. And also for the fact that he was gambling so much. Oh, of course. Yeah, you're right. I'd forgotten about man. I, <laughs> you're right. Says something that I'd already forgotten about the gambling. Like just everything going on here. There's a lot happening. Yeah. So. Ultimately, what happened really was that two of the people in his gang confessed pretty much straight away. Yeah, makes sense. And so they sent someone after him um, where they found him hiding in a cupboard in an inn. Amazing. Which is great. I love that. (laughs) And as a result, he got dragged back Mm -hmm. to Edinburgh. Yep. And he got imprisoned in the Tollbooth Prison. Excellent. Apparently stood outside of St Giles Cathedral yeah. in in not Amsterdam in Edinburgh. <laughs> there we go. So people were absolutely fascinated by this whole idea, just because they were like, "Why? Why would anyone commit all these robberies?" Mm. Everything came out, right? Everything. Um, he wasn't allowed any visits from his friend and family while he was in prison. Oh damn! Um, and it was reported that he would rather wait his fate with the hangman than commit suicide if a poison or dagger had been laid before him. Wow. Um, He was... Coward, eh? (laughs) He was... Like, I love this. He had his wig powdered for the hangman. Oh, okay. He had his wig... He made himself look presentable. Yeah. Amazing. Because, you know, back in those days, you had to powder your wig. Yeah. So, yeah, he got dressed... And he got his wig dressed and powdered to make sure he looked very presentable when he was hanged. Um, He wore a full suit of black with a powdered wig and, yeah, executed for all of his robberies. But people were so shocked by this that there were 40,000 people at his execution. Oh, damn. Yeah. And I, I, do you know about the place of execution? Was this like, was it something like the Tyburn when you know you have the hanging tree and a huge open space around it? Or were um, they packing them in like sardines? I am not sure. He was hanged... He was hanged on the high street, I oh, think. Oh, okay. So it's not like a oh, big you could space. could have a parade. Yeah. One of the 40,000 people was his own daughter, Cecile. Oh, which is so really sad. sad. Imagine being this guy's daughter. Like, maybe yeah. knowing that he's not the greatest guy because you're his illegitimate child, I yeah. assume. But then you find out that actually he was up to all of this no good. I'm assuming his mistresses thought he was kind of, you know, a normal gentleman who had a mistress. Yeah. Like, we've talked about Robert Burns before. And the fact that he had mistresses. Yeah, mistresses are plenty around this time. Yeah, and in Edinburgh. Yeah. I don't don't know why. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. So, this became a really fascinating idea. Apparently, there is a pub in Edinburgh that's called the Deacon Brodie Pub or the mm-hmm. Deacon Brody Tavern that you can still visit today. So why was he called why was he a deacon? Oh, he was a deacon because that was his role within the master furniture makers. He had become so high up that this was his role. Oh, it wasn't a religious No, it's oh, not a religious thing. Okay. It turns out it is just it just means that you are like one of these high up people. Right. He was basically 
a guild man. Oh, okay. That's really interesting because I've only ever heard deacon in terms of religious organizations. I wonder if they have kind of the same role, though. Mm. Like, maybe it's just when you organize a certain number of people, you get to be a deacon. Quite possibly. Thinking about it, my main points of reference for using the word deacon are... Terry Pratchett, Small yep. Gods, and Dark Souls 3, the video game. Amazing. Where there are there is the Church of the Deep and the Deacons of the Deep. I think they are a part of a church. Yeah. It's just I think they might be a part of other things too. Okay, fair Ooh. enough. Yeah, wow. So, yeah, but this was like kind of a weird little story. I quite, mm. I wanted to share it with you, partly because I read that it had inspired Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And yeah. you can really see how it did. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean... Jekyll and Hyde is one of those very interesting stories that I think everyone kind of knows, has an idea of it, and it's probably kind of a slightly inaccurate one, Mm. because you've just got the image of, you know, good Jekyll, bad Hyde, even though that's not really... No, Jekyll's not a good person. No, he's not. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, for one thing, he's doing all this mad experimentation stuff. Well, yes. (laughs) But yeah, he's not a good man, he's just an okay man, is Jekyll. Yeah. And Hyde is just sort of all the stuff that he keeps restrained, mm. or like that society keeps restrained. And as we all know, Hyde was gay and in a relationship <laughs> with Dr. Utterson. The number of times I read that, and the thing is, there's some argument. There's some argument. Yeah, but it, it's, as we've discussed in private, it's the fact that, unfortunately, when students write these things in these papers they always state it as fact yes they don't state it as it might be argued that or there is some evidence for this they just Mm. go it is the case (laughs) and also if he's based on deacon brody then certainly not because deacon brody was having a lot of sex with ladies yeah could still be bisexual he could still be bisexual we're not going to go in for bisexual (laughs) eraser today exactly (laughs) thank you for listening to that time when you can follow us on Twitter at that time when four and suggest any episodes to us at ttwpod at gmail.com. Thank you, as always, to Kevin McLeod for our theme song, Anachronist, as well as any other music that Barnaby has used in this podcast. And thank you for listening. Now go out, invest in eels, and make sure no one has copies of your keys. Bye!